Well, it's great to have you back with us. Another edition of Death, Taxes, and Duval alongside Hayes Carline. My name is Rick Ballou, and today Doug Peterson met the Jaguars media for the second time, also introduced his offensive and defensive coordinator. So, Hayes, uh, let's get into it. Uh, first things first, uh, there's a total difference. I mean, you can just tell the way that Doug Peterson interacts with us that um, – it's it's just that I mean there's no other way to say it. It's it's night and day from what uh, we experienced and what Jaguar fans experienced one year ago. Yeah, Rick, you don't feel like you're being recruited. You don't feel like you're being sold something that ultimately with Urban Meyer turned out to be a, a Ponzi scheme. Uh, but because he said all the right things and then obviously never delivered and was woefully uh, ill prepared for the job, even though. Uh, he told us he'd studied the league for a year. Uh, Doug Peterson, there's nothing, you know, no selling. I mean, he, I think he's, you know, fun to listen to, but for a totally different reason, which is this is a professional NFL head coach that's one at the highest level here at this level, and he's not trying to sell you uh, some farcical, you know, dream. Uh, it's It's hardcore X's and O's and – building a program and building it uh, the right way at the NFL level. And so it is refreshing um, to, uh, to get back to really more of, a, of an NFL way of doing things. And look, I was duped. I mean, I believed everything Urban Meyer said. So uh, I'll be the first to admit it. I was totally wrong. I thought he'd be a success. But I just never dreamed that he would have taken the job having really so little knowledge of how the NFL works. And uh, now that Doug Peterson is here guiding the ship, uh, I, I I feel very confident about where the franchise is now headed. Yeah, and I think Jaguar fans should as well. And, you know, right off the surface, you can look at the fact that Doug Peterson had to fix a mess in Philadelphia after the way that Chip Kelly left it, very similar to what he's going to be asked to do now after the uh, Urban Meyer abomination. Uh, Hayes, my only concern with Doug Peterson uh, was never about his knowledge of the game, his scheme, what he's able to get out of the players. I, you know, I was told from some people in Philadelphia that um, his biggest flaw was he's too loyal to coaches, and there was a little bit of the buddy movement. Um, I was concerned about that early on, and, and I want to say eight coaches he has a previous relationship with. He's either played with them or coach with them, but it doesn't feel like that is the case here. Just wondering your opinion on that going back a few weeks ago, and has that changed now after talking with them a couple of times? Yeah, I, I think it's good to have some familiarity, which is uh, particularly when you're talking about the offensive direction. I, I, I think with uh, the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, Doug Peterson talked today about you know, he and Mike Caldwell go back a long way from you know their playing days, but it, it doesn't seem like uh, on the defensive side of the ball there, there's a whole lot of of the buddy buddy. I think Doug Peterson's going to pretty much turn that over to Mike Caldwell. Uh, but I do think you need it in terms of constructing the offense. I think it's a plus uh, that he's got such a great relationship with Press Taylor. I, I think it's fantastic that they've also added Jim Bob Cooter and Mike McCoy. I, you know, our biggest concern was, are you going to, is this franchise going to waste the best asset that's fallen in their lap in their history, which was getting the number one pick in a year in which Trevor Lawrence was in the draft. And in year one, they absolutely wasted uh, his rookie season. 
And they, that can't happen again. Trevor has to be put in the right environment. And I think Doug Peterson has done that. I mean, I, I think collectively they will work well together. And, uh, and I think that they – I'm not trying to sell that they're – you know, this is going to be, you know, the greatest show on turf 20 years later, that they're going to have some Mike Marks-esque, oh, my God, no one can stop them, or, you know, Mahomes' early years in Kansas City. I mean, I, I don't – I'm not suggesting that, but what I'm suggesting is that it will be an efficient, explosive offense where everybody, I think, will be on the same page in terms of the development of Trevor Lawrence – and I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a player where you just can't screw it up. Uh, as long as everything, if you if you give him a functional supporting cast, functional coaches, just get out of the way and he's going to lead you to good things. But you, you just can't screw it up. And in year one, they just screwed it up every which way you can. A couple of surprises for me, uh, Hayes. Number one, we've spoken so much about blowing everything up. And, you know, that really had much to do obviously with general manager uh Trent Bulky but you know Bernie Parmalee he was at the press conference a couple weeks ago there were certainly talk that uh, Tony Gilbert was going to be retained as the inside linebackers coach I was surprised when it was announced that six coaches are coming back and I, I think there's some good to that because they know the personalities of the players they they know their strengths their weaknesses also, as Peterson pointed out today, they know the equipment guys. They know everyone else, you know, the strength and conditioning guys, if in fact that is, uh, if that group is retained. Uh, but that was a little bit of a surprise for me. And then also, you know, I really don't know much at all about Phil Rauscher. But if you look at this staff, it's got plenty of experience. But Rauscher's had one year as an interim assistant coach in D.C., then did it a year ago in Minnesota. If, if you look at guys, and, and there's not a more important position on this football field than this offensive line, I'm not saying he's a good co- not a good coach. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to witness this just like everyone else. But those are the two things that perhaps surprised me the most about the 22 coaches that he has brought in. Yeah, I thought your question to Peterson in the press conference about Rosher was really uh, a really good one, and I thought Doug gave a, a good answer. Uh, you know, he said, "I like the way his guys have played for him. Uh, there's been a lot of consistency with his offensive lines. He's a great teacher, great communicator, detailed guy." Uh, and and Peterson went as far as to say, "That's who I am when it comes to the X's and O's of and being fundamentally sound." So, I uh, I mean, again, we know that there there is going to be a wave of the next great coaches. Go find them, you know. Go find them. I, I think Doug Peterson is uh, has got the right mix here of experience and and you know, obviously his offensive coordinator is incredibly young, and Press Taylor, his offensive line coach, is going to be young as you mentioned. I uh, you know so. He's obviously uh, it's it's risky because there isn't the experience. If, if you'd hired a you know like George Warhop, uh, obviously has a ton of NFL experience, but you know there's also that you know concern of you know the game is changing and are you on the right side of that? And so uh, you know I, I again I will trust Doug Peterson until I have reason not to, particularly when it comes to a staff. Uh, so, I mean, I'm excited to see what the offensive line can can achieve. I, I've never sensed much of an edge with the offensive line, and this goes even beyond George Warhop's tenure. Uh, and I, I get it. It's a different league now. It's it's harder to maybe see that as often. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see what Rosher does with it. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a unit that is probably going to be going through a lot of turnover here when we get into, you know, placing, you know, whether to place the franchise tag on Cam Robinson, whether to take an offensive tackle at, at you know, number one overall. That offensive line is really going to be in the spotlight this entire offseason. Jaguars football never ends right here on Death Taxes and Duval. He says, Carline, I am Rick Beluhays, is our uh, beat reporter, and I am the Jaguars sideline reporter. Heck, you got the combine in 10 days. You got uh, the tampering, legal tampering period less than 30 days away, and the NFL draft is only 68 days away. All right, my opinion, if, if you and I were to sit down, I, I think we could describe – what we believe the Jaguars offense is going to look like in 2022. However, when we get to the other side of the football and, you know, we tried today with Mike Caldwell a little bit. We tried today with Doug Peterson. I don't think they know right now what type of defense they are going to run. The advantage is they have plenty of money and they have great draft selections that they are able to make. And, I'll come out and say this, most of my money, most of my draft capital, I wanted to go to the offensive side of the football. But I think right now, that is such a big question mark for this franchise. I don't think they can tell you comfortably what style of defense they want to run. I agree. I don't get a sense from Mike Caldwell that it's, uh, you know, that sort of coach speak. That's a, that's a line offensive coaches usually use of when they're asked about, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to tailor it to, you know, our skill set. Uh, you don't normally hear that on the defensive side of the ball because you know normally those guys have a very firm idea of what they want to do and and you know how often does it uh, you know does it really change in terms of uh, you know schematically what you want to do on that side of the ball uh, it, your talent is is not as drastically different as it can be uh, on the offensive side depending on you know just even at the, just the quarterback position do you have a pocket quarterback do you have a mobile quarterback I mean that you don't really have a, a anything on defense that sort of dictates that it's just sort of you know how you decide to construct your roster this roster has been constructed for a three four. So I have to think that that's where they land. But I, I agree with you. I think he, I think Mike Caldwell is being very genuine. He's like, I honestly, you know, I don't know exactly uh, what it's going to look like because I think they do have to, uh, you know, get in there and, and figure out what they have uh, and, and what's coming. And is, I agree with you. I, I would put a lot on the offensive side in terms of their, you know, offseason ammunition. But we know that's not going to happen. All these teams, yeah, I think, fall into the same mistake where they're like, well, it's got to be balanced. No, it doesn't. You're, you're awful. You're, and you're going to be awful next year. Newsflash. You're going to be lucky to win six games next year. So you might as well go ahead and build the offense up this offseason and put Trevor in the best possible scenario and, and realize you're going to have to win shootouts. But when you, if you try and fix both sides of, of the ball when your roster is, is this poor – you're, all you're going to end up doing is taking a small step on each side, which ultimately isn't going to lead to really much anything. So, uh, you know, it's frustrating because uh, these uh, these decision makers tend to, well, we got to, you know, we, we spent big in free agency on this side of the ball. Now the draft's got to be on, you know, this side of the ball. And I think for uh, that's a fine strategy if you go to the tournament every year and, and you've got a, a, you know, a really balanced roster. When you've got a bad roster and you've got Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, you've got to devote all of it. Uh, I think, uh, in terms of the premium assets to the offensive side of the ball and helping him. Yeah, we're in agreement there. And if you look at Mike Caldwell, 14 years as a coach, and he's he's worked with some very good ones, and he was with Todd Bowles in New York and obviously been with them recently 
in Tampa Bay. And, you know, we watched the Bucks defense, and it's, it's pretty tough to define because they move guys all over and they send guys with their blitzing attack from all sorts of different positions. And, and you would love to just be able to say, all right, Jacksonville's going to do the same thing. But it's a totally different personnel. I mean, Tampa Bay's got very good football players on that side of the ball. They had 47 sacks last year. Jacksonville only had 32. So scheming is something I'm interested in, just, you know, depending on who they add. The other thing, and I realize it's only six games, but traditionally there in the NFC South, if you go back to Drew Brees, you know, you got Matt Ryan, you got Drew Brees, you got guys who throw it all over the place. I look at the AFC South and, you know, I think of Jonathan Taylor and I think of Derrick Henry. It's more of a a run first, and that's where really most success has come against the Jaguars in the last couple of years. Houston has owned them as well, and these teams have been able to run the football right down the Jaguars' throat. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, they, they've got to fix that, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, what Mike Caldwell can do because, again, if I'm Doug Peterson, I'm going to be very honest with Mike Caldwell. I'm going to say, look, probably not getting a lot of help this offseason if I have anything to do with it. And and we don't know exactly uh, at this point how the power structure is going to fall. Shad Khan and everybody can talk about, well, it's collaborative. Well, it isn't collaborative. At the end of the day, somebody makes the call. And, uh, and you know, I think they're still obviously uh, very much in the process of working that out. What did you think today? Uh, uh, Doug Peterson was asked about EVP, and and my takeaway was, they must not be that far down the road with this because he was basically like, well, I, I don't really have an update, but yeah, I'd like to be involved in the process. Yeah, it was interesting. I know you asked the question, and I, I loved his response because I, I think you could really feel uh, a lot of truth. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I say that because last year I thought Urban was incredibly transparent, but it ended up that the man was lying. Uh, all the time. I, I don't get that with, with Doug Peterson. I, I think one thing is crystal clear. Um, they're not close. Uh, you know, from my understanding, they've only interviewed one minority. You, you have to with two uh, as far as the Rooney rule is concerned. And, you know, here we are, what, the 18th of February. I, I think every day that goes by, it's safe to say this is going to be Trent Bulky's free agency class. This is going to be Trent Bulky's NFL draft. And regardless if uh, an executive vice president is on board or assistant general manager is on board, and perhaps both, that's what we've been told. I, I think they're clearly this year on the outside looking in, obviously they're going to have an opinion, but it just feels like everything with the 2022 roster is going to be set there with Trent Balke. I agree. And, and I find it uh, dumbfounding that that's the uh, position that they're in. I, I don't know. I mean, they they basically. I mean, Shad Khan. That was two weeks ago that that he said that you know publicly that they were going to you know let the league know that they were planning on hiring an EVP so they could go through the process that you you referenced. I mean, so you can't think that that was. I mean, obviously, Shad Khan had decided he was going to do that before he publicly announced it. So you're two weeks after a public announcement. And, you know, frankly, I, I am a, a little concerned with the timeline just because I, I I want that person in place. Either way, no matter what the job entails, I want that person in place. You know, they're now having conversations about the franchise tag with Cam Robinson, DJ Chark. Those are important conversations. 
that an EVP needs to be privy to, regardless of what the structure is of that job. Obviously, if he's the decision maker or she is the decision maker, then you then obviously they need to be in these discussions as soon as possible. But even if it's you know the the way that that I would like to see the EVP set up, where it's more. I'm the eyes and ears of Shad. You guys figure it out, but I'm here to observe and then to report back. This is what worked. This is what didn't, and this is how we got there. Uh, and so, you know, when when if if things go wrong, Shad Khan has a very good idea of uh, of you know who should get credit or who should get blame. Uh, and the only way you can have that is if the EVP is is an ombudsman and not a decision maker. But regardless. Regardless of what that position is is going to do, they have to be in these conversations, or otherwise, what I mean, what value are they adding? This is when you make the decisions that shape, you know, the future, the present and future of your football team. So uh, March eighth is obviously the deadline to uh, to place the tag. Uh, we know that you know the combine is is before then. Uh, you've got tampering, legal tampering that can start March fourteenth. Uh, and then the new league year starts March March sixteenth. So to me, I mean, it's February eighteenth, Rick. I'd I'd really like to have somebody in place in like a week. Yeah, it, you know, it would be nice. And uh, Doug Peterson, you know, went out and named his staff. It took him about two weeks to to do that. Uh, I thought the Jaguars really made a mistake and missed the boat by waiting as long as they did to announce Doug Peterson, um, you know, caught in all that was the fact that Trent Bulky and Doug Peterson were not at the senior bowl because the coach wasn't announced in time. Now here we go with the combine, as you pointed out, beginning on March 1st, you believe that everyone will be present in there for it in Indianapolis. But next week on the 22nd is, you know, the first day that you are able to slap a franchise tag or the transition tag. And you got three weeks to figure out, if you're going to do that or not, actually it's about two and a half weeks, as you said, March 8th. So you got to figure that out. And you know, this is what becomes so interesting to me, Hayes, is that I, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Cam Robinson and I spent a lot of time thinking about DJ chart. And in my opinion, they're, they're both average players. So I don't want to overpay for either one of the two. The other side of me says, this is not a good enough roster where you can allow one or both of these players to go and you don't get anything at all in return. Because that's the thing. They're not going to get comp picks because they're going to spend in free agency. So they're going to, whatever they end up adding in free agency is going to cancel out how the league views that comp pick formula where it's only, you only get the, the comp picks if – you weren't very active in free agency, and, and you lost players that signed significant deals elsewhere. I, I don't believe the Jaguars... Let's say Cam Robinson signed a pretty uh, big deal, but the Jaguars also are very active. I don't think the league looks at it and says, well, you still get the fourth-round comp pick for Cam Robinson because he signed a big deal somewhere else because you clearly had the cap space. So the way I think the way the formula works, it's like, well, you spent in free agency, so we're not going to reward you for just choosing not to spend on this particular player. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, they're tough decisions. I mean, I, I can certainly see uh, both sides of it. Um, DJ Chark was actually in the building today, which surprised me. Uh, looked great, um, you know, but it, it's, it's one of those things that 
do you keep them both? Because I agree with you. Chark, to me, is the one of the two that has probably the highest ceiling in terms of maybe he can be a guy that goes to the Pro Bowl multiple times, uh, you know, particularly now that Trevor Lawrence is here. You know, Cam Robinson, to me, is, is, is adequate. Uh, it, I, I would certainly not kill it if they decided to uh, resign him. Tagging him again, okay, fine. I mean, I, that seems a little much, but uh, but I mean, I've I've thought for the last week or so that probably both were going to be uh, allowed to test the market and and ultimately leave. But it does, you know, on a team that doesn't have a lot of talent, it it opens up obviously two more holes. Yeah, it would be very convenient to bring them both back, only because there's so many holes that that need to be fixed, but. You know, where I'm at on this side of the football, um, are they good enough to command the amount of money that they are going to make? And I I can't look at DJ Chark and not think about, you know, three years of of being injured. And I understand he hasn't had a quarterback. And, you know, in a very short period of time, the deep ball was working with him and Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, do you try to create something where maybe you can get him to – come back for one year on a show me deal. I also got to believe right now that when he's meeting with his agent, his agent saying, screw that. This is your second contract. You didn't get first round money. Let's take us out into the open market and, you know, see what happens, see what you can get out there. So, you know, it's a very difficult decision to make. I'd love to say, all right, bring back Kim, left tackle set, bring back DJ Chark, you got another wide receiver. Obviously, they still need to add at least one more wide receiver. But if you let Chark go, you're looking at adding, in my opinion, at least two more wide receivers. That's the thing is, uh, you know, they're, we know they're. I, I would love it, but they're not going to take a receiver at one. Uh, we, we know that. That's not that's way too out of the box for, uh, you know, for probably any team, but certainly a team that has struggled as much. Is the Jaguars hasn't so, happened since '96, yeah. I believe. With right, Keyshawn. Yeah, Keyshawn and, and Johnson. Yeah, yep. and they're and they're in the Jamar Chase. The, the 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 problem I have is if you wait, okay, you're going to now be take. You're going to see six receivers come off the board between picks two and thirty two. Uh, if you look at all the uh, the simulations, so I mean, I, to me, that's I have a problem with that. But I know that they're not going to do that. So to your point, if Chark is gone. Uh, you absolutely have to add two. I mean, Marvin Jones can be uh, uh, the third part of a trio, but you've got to sign a slot guy, maybe a Christian Kirk uh, in free agency, and then you've got to go draft uh, you know somebody that has a similar skill set to DJ Chark. Uh, you know, that's that sort of you know. Obviously, you hope it's a better you know overall player, but that kind of uh, physical, speedy kind of player. Uh, you know, is it a is it George Pickens at at thirty third overall? He he's probably going to be there, the receiver out of Georgia. Um, you know, so that's what they have to weigh. Is are we better yeah. off uh, to try and resign Chark? But again, it's just to your point. It's it's so tough now because boy, they can smell it, man. They can smell the the chance to have thirty one other clubs throw them stupid money. It only you know it only takes one of the thirty one to say you know. Dad Gummit, we've watched DJ Chark's film for two years ago when he went to the Pro Bowl, and he's somebody that you know we believe can be a fourteen hundred yard, fourteen touchdown receiver. We're going to pay him, you know, seventeen million dollars a year, and and he's gone. Uh, right. But and you know, again, it's 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 just it's really hard to predict what players will do on the market, and uh, normally they underperform. Uh, but but sometimes you do have players that do very well. Um, 
you know, it's 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 is I think it's a conundrum for a team that is is as bad as this team is. The fact that they have two monumentally important decisions to make on impending free agents, and and that's not even getting to Norwell, uh, you know, or uh, you know, what would you do with Brandon Linder, who's under contract, right. but at nine point six million? Uh, I mean, there are not a lot of easy calls uh, as they try to construct a winner here. Yeah, and that comes back to our conversation earlier. You you would hope that Trent Bulky has people that he feels comfortable with as far as bouncing off these ideas. And right now, with no assistant GM or an executive vice president, uh, it appears all to be uh, there for Bulky. Obviously, he'll you know talk with Doug Peterson and others, but it, it feels like it's going to come down to that. All right, let's wrap with this, and and we'll obviously talk about it as we do move forward. But uh, to me even more than wide receiver or anything else. I, I'm a huge stickler here on protecting Trevor Lawrence. So it's, it's getting left tackle, right? If you bring back Cam Robinson, I, I think Jaguar fans know what they are going to get there. If you bring over Teron Armstead, okay, there's a, a massive upgrade, but very similar to Brandon Linder. The guy hasn't proven that he can stay healthy for an entire year. Walker Little, very little experience over there. He appears to be athletic, could get stronger. Is he a better right tackle? And then you think of the pressure. Imagine if they go out and get on Evan Neal. I mean, Baselli finally goes into the Hall of Fame. He went second overall. And then years later, Luke Jokel goes second overall and completely fell apart. So I, I think the pressure there, there'll be pressure on him anyway, but I just think the extra pressure there to, to be Baselli and not Jokel is, is going to be incredibly intriguing. Uh, let's put a rough draft on it because this is going to change as we move forward. But right now, I would say I'm going to draft Evan Neal, number one. I, I'm going to put it right out there and, and see what this guy can do. It's cost-effective. You can spend money if you do that elsewhere on the offensive line as well at wide receiver. So that's my decision today, and that is subject to change. How about you at left tackle? I, I think it is Evan Neal. I think they let Cam Robinson walk. I think they select Evan Neal at one uh, with the idea that he's the left tackle and Walker Little will be the right tackle. I know Walker Little struggled at right tackle when we were able to watch Cam, but in talking with him later in the year, he really felt like he had gotten more comfortable there. And then obviously he got a chance to play on the left side for about 250 snaps and, you know, did pretty well. So uh, if it ends up being Evan Neal at, at right tackle, I understand now that those two positions are uh, a little closer in value. It would have been probably unthinkable 10 years ago. Uh, but uh, you know, but if I had to guess, I would say uh, the week one offensive line, if, if, if everybody's healthy, I think it would be Evan Neal at left tackle. I think you're looking at a free agent left guard at probably about $6 million. Uh, so not a, not a tomato can, but not paying crazy money. Uh, for Norwell's replacement, I think Linder remains at center at $9.6 million. Uh, I think Barge takes over at right guard. And then I think Walker Little is at uh, right tackle, and Jawan Taylor becomes a swing tackle. Hmm. Very interesting. It'll be fun. I know Taylor has said he... He's not a guard. He's not going to move inside. Well, if he's told he's moving inside, guess what? Yeah. He's moving inside. So uh, that'll be fascinating on itself. So, all right, lots to do. Uh, we'll be here with you throughout the off season. And uh, that includes next week as we'll get even closer uh, to the National Football League 
Combine. Hayes Carline is our reporter, and he's on each and every day from 3 until 6 o'clock. How do the listeners get a hold of you, Hayes? Yeah, please reach out to me on Twitter at Hayes Carlion, H-A-Y-S-C-A-R-L-Y-O-N. And I come on after Hayes at 6 o'clock at night. I am the Jaguar Cyclone reporter as well. You can reach me, Baloo1010XL. Hayes, have a great rest of the week. We'll pick it up again next week. Sounds great, Rick. Thanks. There he is, Hayes Carline. I'm Rick Baloo. Thanks for listening. This is Death Taxes in Duval.